May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always and everywhere acceptable to you. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. There are some passages and some celebrations of the church that attract more confusion than others do. It isn't the fault of the stories themselves, per se, to be sure. Some of them, in fact, are the most powerful and vivid stories that there are in Scripture. And tonight's gospel is definitely one of them. And there are a lot of reasons, I think. One of them is feet. Feet, by and large, are not all that attractive, nor do they typically attract that much attention. One can almost be convinced, given their awkwardness, that their sole purpose is to keep us from falling over, although we do a good deal of that even with feet. But take off your shoes in the middle of church, and suddenly it's really very awkward, which usually thins out the crowds on Monday Thursday. And then there's the business of washing feet. Most of us are totally self-conscious about the process. I didn't grow up with it. One of the first times I was ever a part of a Maundy Thursday service was after I became a clergy person and participating became pretty much unavoidable. The only person, in fact, that I've ever known who was totally comfortable with it and got a lot of fun out of it was a woman who was 80 years old and was a member of the congregation at the cathedral in Dallas. In the run, to mon run up to Monday, Thursday, she always went out and had the most outrageous pedicure she could possibly get done, almost entirely to get a reaction out of the cathedral dean, which she did on a regular basis. By contrast, this was a ritual and a kind of courtesy and service to visitors that was a part of Jewish life and a part of living in a country with dusty roads and with sandals and bare feet. It was a custom that was accompanied, accompanied most dinners and was a way of making guests feel comfortable. But that's where the confusing part of the entire passage and the celebration comes from, too. People pick up on a few odd bits of this practice. They then run thinking forward to the 21st century, and they arrive at a lot of really confusing conclusions about both the theology and the theme of this particular passage. Either people assume that what Jesus is doing here is that he is about to be crucified. He knows it's really urgent. And so he figures it's time he'd better have a conversation about leadership with these 12 people he's brought together. Or, on the other hand, the other reading that people run with is the idea that he spent all this time talking about the kingdom of God that he is inaugurating, and instead suddenly what he 
does is sit down and offer an example of universal humility and service without any grounding in what he's taught. It's a small wonder then that when people think about those two scenarios that you get people who either dwell on servant leadership, which is now has the kind of currency far, far beyond the church as a popular concept for how to lead, or people conclude that the gospel is roughly about two things. One, get saved. Two, be nice. And as a result, the whole idea of humility and service get folded into it without any real connection to anything that Jesus has been doing all the way up to this point in his ministry. The key, though, actually lies in the exchange with Peter. The gospel says, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, you do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no share with me. Jesus knows that Peter is on the way spiritually. He's living into the kingdom that Jesus has been preaching. He's left his fishing business. He's tromped around the countryside with Jesus and followed him. He's even gone on a mission trip or two. But he hasn't arrived and the biggest setback is about to take place on that journey. He's been picking up road dust along the way, and he's about to flunk big time. Service, then, in the kingdom is not a matter of doing good for others for no particular reason, or even doing good for the sake of good. Service in the kingdom is a matter of a life lived out of recognition of one's own deep dependence upon God for forgiveness and for cleansing. And it's about the kind of service and life that points other people to their same need, that need which can only be found in Christ and the kingdom that he inaugurates. Now, inevitably, when you explain that about this passage, some people would say, oh, I see. What you're saying is, is that we ought to be good to others so that we can get them into church. But if you'll forgive the pun, that's putting the shoe on the wrong foot. A Christian's availability to the work of God is not about serving them in order to get them for God. It is about a life that is lived so deeply, so completely in connection with Christ, that no one could ever read our life as anything but a journey into God in Christ. An illustration might help explain what I have in mind. Back in my cathedral days in Washington, I had a friend whose name was John Krause. John was a deeply devoted Christian and a cathedral verger. 
In fact, he had a couple of high-level careers that he set aside when he finally got the opportunity to be the head verger at Washington National Cathedral. When I was at the cathedral, he had already retired, and he would come in advance of the 8 o'clock service to sit down with the other vergers and the clergy to swap stories over coffee and donuts. But John was a man whose life exuded the presence of Christ. He had a blood disease that then finally morphed into leukemia, and when he was dying, he left strict, strict instructions that, as he put it, there were to be no eulogies. He said, one man lying in the cathedral is enough. And he asked the chaplain of the boys' school to preach his service. And I remember what he did was, was he didn't preach a eulogy, but what he did do was he began to talk about John's life as one which when you knew John, you knew his Lord. And that, dear friends, is what the life of service and humility is all about. Many people will do good works. Many people will live as servants. But our version of those characteristics as Christians is inspired by having a share in Jesus, as Jesus himself told Peter. By a life of intimacy with our Lord, by a life of service to our Lord's kingdom. And the epitaph that we really need to live into in all of our lives is to say, to know him, to know her, was to know her Lord, his Lord, your Lord, my Lord, from beginning to end, from head to toe. And that is what tonight's service is all about. Amen.